Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm Michael McNutt, Director of Education and Events from Weedy, and on behalf of the entire association, happy holidays. From our 2022 National Conference, it's a special session, Solving National Problems at a Regional Level. Our host, Lisa Berry, Chief Executive Officer with Civitas Networks. Her guests, Nicole Sweeney, General Counsel and Chief Privacy Officer with CRISP, and Elizabeth Killingsworth, General Counsel and Chief Privacy Officer with Manifest Medics. Oh, there we go. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, nice to see you all um, here and on, I presume, the virtual platform. Um, as mentioned, I'm Lisa Berry. I'm the CEO of Civitas Networks for Health. Um, formerly known as the Strategic Health Information Exchange Collaborative and the Network for Regional Healthcare Improvement. We joined forces in October of last year and have been working as Civitas since then. Together, we represent nearly all of the regional and statewide health information exchanges across the country, as well as regional health improvement collaboratives. And so um, also live in Maryland. And so in Maryland, we have members including CRISP and also the Maryland Healthcare Commission. Um, and DC, we have CRISP as well, and many others. Um, Manifest Medics is also a member in California. Um, and so we're here today to talk a little bit about the uh, kind of the reason that Civitas exists, which is regional innovation, national impact. And, and one of the critical ideas that we've been working on with our members for the last couple of years plus um, for you know, really many years, uh, decades now of work in the health information exchange and health improvement space is this idea of health data utility. Um, so we want to talk a little about what that means specifically and then really give some examples from uh, Maryland and from California and the broader regions of what that means specifically and really um, be quite clear about that. So I want to just make sure that I, 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 I really appropriately represent um, how we are currently talking about health data utility or HDU. And so when we say HDU, we don't just mean HIE 2.0. We mean statewide models or entities with technical capabilities to combine, enhance, and exchange electronic health data across various care and services settings for TPO, treatment, care coordination, exchange, uh, operations, payment, and then also really public and community health and health improvement purposes. And so we're going to be talking a little bit more what that means specifically in these two regions. But I think that it's important to say that we go far beyond basic clinical data exchange. Um, and then also it's really important that the emerging, evolving HDUs go beyond the basic minimum levels of privacy protection that they really enable um, protection for critical types of health data that go beyond the current legal frameworks. I think probably everyone here understands that we are in a weird place with health data right now where we have so much health data escaping from the confines or the protections of HIPAA and really thinking about what it means at a state level. Some states have greater privacy protections, of course, as we expand HDUs across the country, how do we also really level up the privacy protection for health data covered in those HDUs? And so with that, um, we, we really want to talk a little bit about how this HDU model moves us more towards a community-centric governance of health data. 
um, that's a really important point. When you think about, maybe in your mind, maybe you work at an HA, you've worked for HAs before you know what they are, you think about, um, you think about sort of the exchange of data happening across the country, across different settings, but keep in mind, again, that there are sort of these governance protections in particular defined regions. And so what that means to me is that the people in California have a different sort of goal for what happens with their health data than people in Maryland or any other state in the nation. And so really bringing the governance of the health data to the community level, regardless of what technology enables, is a really important concept as we think about um, enabling greater and greater interoperability and data liquidity. So Civitas at the national level is working on bringing together all the work that's happening in our different member organizations in their regions and states and trying to pull up a unified framework and model for what HDU can become. It is an emerging model. It is an emerging concept. There's not one specific HDU today that has met all of the requirements and meets everything and is 100%. Of course not. We have a complex health system, as you all know. Um, but Civitas is working on bringing together all the work in a unified framework. So we have a small project um, that has been funded by the Maryland Healthcare Commission to create a framework for health data utility, the V1 framework. And there are a couple of deliverables and things that we made public that this group will benefit from. The first is a really um, comprehensive sort of issue brief white paper coming out soon. So we'll make sure that everyone gets it and that our friends at Weedy get it as well to share with their community. And that will really tell you where we are today. What is the work that's been done thus far in HGU? And then before the end of the year, we're also publishing the V1 framework that really talks about all the different elements of HGU, government, legal, privacy, stakeholders, who's involved, different types of use cases. So please also keep an eye out for that as well. And that work will continue, right? So we get the framework, then we kind of build on it, we get feedback from the community, we create a maturity model, and then eventually we help states hopefully move further along their progress towards HGU. So that's the preamble for all of you. That's what HGU is sort of to Civitas and its broad community. More to come soon. Now I want to talk to my guests here and have them talk a little bit about their work and what they do. So let's just start briefly with introductions. So Talk about your background, what you do um, for CRISP, and a little bit about what HDU means to CRISP. Nicole. Sure, absolutely. And thanks, everyone. This. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm naturally loud, so I never know, like, is the mic picking me up or is it just me? Um, so uh, I'm Nicole Sweeney again. I am the general counsel for um, CRISP Maryland. Um, we support the Maryland HIE. Uh, as well as the District of Columbia HIE. Um, and we provide the infrastructure through Chris Shared Services um, for West Virginia, Connecticut, and Alaska. Um, so my job as general counsel and chief privacy officer, um, you know, depends on any given day, as Elizabeth knows. Um, but a big part of it, I think, is that balance between data interoperability and understanding that we need to make sure that folks have data accessible to them and balancing that with the understanding that what accessibility and what data folks want for their, for their personal perspective, available to their providers, available to their public health officials, um, available to 
community-based organizations within uh, their community is going to be different. So balancing those two things is very challenging. It's also very fun. But I think that's really the power of the health data utility. I think, you know, the, the pandemic brought so many things to light. And I think one of those big things is that health is local. I think we knew that already, um, but it just really showcased that. And the decisions that folks make and the health decisions that folks make are very much at the local level. So we can have federal initiatives and should have federal initiatives, but how they are deployed is going to depend on the individuals in the community, what they need, what they expect, what they feel comfortable with. So making sure that we have state-based entities or regional-based entities that understand those folks that have the governance in mind, um, that can work with the stakeholders, make sure they're comfortable, um, is absolutely critical for anything that we can achieve at the federal level. And I think that's what makes HDU's uh, health data utilities so powerful. Um, if this is your first time hearing about health data utilities, I think sometimes it's helpful to have a little bit of an example. So I'll just give one um, from Maryland. Um, sort of one of the things that I work on the most that I think is is the most exciting. Uh, so we are very lucky in Maryland to have um, the vast majority of providers uh, connected to our health information exchange uh, because of the Maryland model, which I could go into, but everybody would be very bored and it would take up the uh, entire period of time. But we're very lucky in Maryland to have uh, our providers connected to us. Um, and as a result, again, of the pandemic, we saw public health officials you know, coming to Chris because we had all the providers connected to us and saying, can you very quickly show us heat maps of where COVID is? And then once we could do that, can you show us in real time what our bed capacities are at hospitals so that when EMS calls, you can say, go to this hospital, not that hospital. Um, you know, Can you show us where... Uh, uh, COVID is happening in um, skilled nursing facilities because that was an early predictor of what was going to happen after that. So because we had all of these connections, we could very quickly turn around that information to um, uh, the public health officials in Maryland while still protecting privacy by providing it at an aggregate level. Um, so that is is one thing that we have, have really honed in on in the past couple of years. And we've been expanding that um, uh, in the past year to include uh, community-based organizations so that when folks go see one of their clinicians, um, you know, I think one of my favorite stats, which is probably not true, but I'm just going to say it um, and pretend it's true, is that only 11 or 12% of our health is impacted by our clinical care. So if we as an HIE, really want to make an impact, we have to look way beyond clinical care. We have to look at what's going on in the community, um, what's going on at the individual level. So we've been connecting to community-based organizations to be able to have providers say, okay, this is the issue that I see, but really the underlying issue is food insecurity. Let's refer you to Meals on Wheels. Um, let's refer you to a diabetes prevention program. Um, let's refer you to various other things like that. Um, and we are able to send referrals to those community-based organizations and then have them close the loop with the provider to say, yes, this person um, showed up and this is what happened so that we can have that continuous conversation. Um, and again, I think the HDU is so important because standing at the middle, we can make sure that only that referral data, that the 
HIPAA-lite sort of <laughs> minimum necessary data is going to um, the community-based organizations and ensuring that the patient is aware of that. So um, could talk a lot more, but I want to hand it over to Elizabeth, too. But I like listening to you. <laughs> uh, I'm Elizabeth Killingsworth. I am General Counsel of Manifest Medics. We are the big HIE in California, but not the only. We have about 30 million patient records, uh, individual patients with records. We, so I love my job. I know that's weird, especially for a lawyer, but I do, <laughs> and I love it because in California right now, everything is changing. Everything is happening. The, you know, California both believes in some of the strictest privacy restrictions in the country and also is shoving data, sharing down everybody's throats, um, which I think is a pro, but not everybody is on board with it yet. We're working on that. <laughs> <laughs> and so that balance that Nicole is talking about that we're trying to reach is so critical and so impossible, <laughs> and we are trying so hard. Um, a lot of what we are focused on right now is trying to figure out how do we integrate the public health sphere? How do we integrate population management? How do we integrate these big picture initiatives that impact huge numbers of patients by getting data where it needs to be, but also making sure it is safer than safe. That is so important for healthcare data. You know, you're seeing this ransomware attacks on the major hospital systems. You're seeing all of these things happening, and we are trying to figure out how do we get the care information required to the people providing it without anything happening to it along the way. And this is the initiative that we're working on right now. To Nicole's point about how local healthcare is, uh, so I actually live in Falls Church, Virginia. Okay, I work for California. I live about five miles from here. Um, I didn't know that there is a fungus in the desert that exists in Southern California that causes huge respiratory problems. I had no idea. It doesn't really exist very many other places, apparently. Um, it is a huge public health problem in California. It is something that they are having a really hard time tracking. They're having a very hard time managing outbreaks and making sure that treatment and people who might be exposed are aware of what's going on. Um, this is something that we're trying to fix. That's not something that needs to be fixed on a national level. That's something that needs to be fixed in California. And that is a huge part of why HCUs tend to be regional, why they tend to have all these local ties, why you work with county public health departments, not just state, why you're not just working with the CDC and the NIH. You are working with a 20-person organization, if you're lucky. That's actually kind of ambitious. Um, in a smaller part of a smaller state. And I think that that is something that people overlook a lot, and it's something that we are trying to make progress on as fast as possible right now. And I think that it is... Basically, the future of healthcare is figuring out how to reach those darker corners and how to tie them together so that nobody's left out. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, dig a little bit more into the HGU. Now, you've seen a couple examples here, right? So, Maryland is a very specific situation where we have, for the most part, although not throughout the entire healthcare system, aligned payment. 
um, a lot of aligned incentives, and um, they've you know considered how to make health data and information uh, sharing part of that equation. Again, not every corner. I um, had a fun run-in with the University of Maryland Medical System and Johns Hopkins just last week, where my information wasn't shared. So we still are fighting that fight on the ed- on the edges. Um, so you've got, but for the most part, and it's not the only licensed HIE in Maryland, but it is the major and you know consistently used and with major use cases across many different types of types of care and services settings. Um, and then in California, you have multiple HIEs, but now more and more coordination and engagement at the state level between those organizations and the state. If you're not up on what's going on, we can talk about it in a minute. There's something called the Data Exchange Framework in California. They're really making a go at bringing together the governance and exchange at the state level again. Um, Certainly a long road, very complex. We are not there yet. But you can see these two uh, exemplars of what it might look like to have the concept of health data utility in different parts of the country. And they're different, right? Maryland has a ton of coordination um, from the state level, um, one major player from the utility service provider space, if I can take some liberties with what to call CRISP, utility service provider. Um, And then in California, it will be a lot more complex. Also, California is massive with a zillion people and, you know, huge distance and different communities, different landscapes, different environments. And so you really have a different picture there. So what we're trying to do at Civitas is figure out how to bring together these concepts into a framework and then eventually a maturity model that different states and contexts can use, but it's not going to be exactly the same. However, I think it's important to say that if you, if your experience with HIEs, and putting air quotes here, is from a decade ago, you might think of a technology company trying to build its own technology to exchange clinical data across different EHR systems. That's just not the case today. And so I want to make it clear to everyone listening who's learning about HTUs for the first time that we're not talking about impeding national interoperability and exchange goals. We're talking about needing to focus that governance at the local and regional level because of the preferences and needs of each respective community, which is different. I think one of the interesting ones recently, which is interesting is maybe a kind of a cruel word, one of the the things that's happened recently to remind people of what it means to have data being exchanged at the national level is the DOPS decision and information around reproductive health data. So that's just an example of sort of how why you would care about local governance of data versus the uh, data liquidity use of standards to enable nationwide exchange. So can you talk a little bit more about what's something in your state that is really like, hey, this is only here. You mentioned the public health issue specifically. Talk a little bit about what people care about in Maryland that might not be the same elsewhere. That is, we have to give it a second, right? There we go. You know, I think one of the things that is very interesting in Maryland um, is how much we care, and not that California does it by any stretch of the imagination. Um, See where this is going. <laughs> um, but there is a spectrum even within Maryland of privacy. And I'm going to, you know, I'm chief privacy officer, so this is like the hammer that I use. There are very different things in different parts. But the... Maryland is such a very interesting, I, I, I don't know, this is probably being recorded and I shouldn't say this, but um, I often say like even the Democrats are Republicans and even the Republicans are Democrats. Um, That's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, it's just in every th- state thinks that they're special. Um, <laughs> but understanding the needs, and this is true in California too, so it's not anything terribly unique, um, but understanding the needs of Montgomery County versus Carroll County. Ca- Carroll County. Um, or I, I'm constantly amazed at like, when I go out to like Harper's Ferry, I'm like, we're still in Maryland. Um, Barely. just, just yes. before you cross the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there you're in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not good at maps. Um, uh, in any event, um, there's so much cross border sharing here, um, that it is so important for us to be working with the HIEs in West Virginia, the HIEs in um, Virginia, the HIEs in um, Pennsylvania and Delaware, et cetera. Um, there's just lots and lots and lots of cross-border movement um, that is important that we stay at the local level, um, but also that we're working with those HIEs and that I can have relationships with the general counsels of each of those uh, states in a way that is collaborative and with an intention to data share, but specific to what is needed around our state. Um, and I think what is also not necessarily unique, but makes my job fun, although my husband says that there is a pill that will that will cure me of thinking this is fun, probably, um, but that this, what is, I'm trying to be a little careful, but what is... Um, acceptable and uh, uh, what folks are comfortable with in West Virginia and Virginia is very different than what in in Pennsylvania is very different with than what folks are comfortable with in New Jersey and Delaware. So we very, very, very quickly see those differences and have to have lots of conversations about how the data flows, where it flows, when it flows, and what privacy protections we have around it. Yeah, that's right. Talk a little bit more about sort of privacy protections and considerations in California, Elizabeth. There are infinitely many. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the list is long and the legislation is ever evolving and expanding. Um, no. So California, we have, we don't do the same level of cross-border collaboration just because California is huge. And that is, we have several HIEs in one state, <laughs> We don't need to add 20 more from other states. We do work cross-borders through eHealth Exchange, through the care quality framework. We will exchange information, but generally speaking, we are focused on the needs of Californians. Californians are like nothing I have ever seen before. (laughs) And it's really interesting. They know their rights (laughs) really well. (laughs) <laughs> and they like to inform you of that. Um, we get a lot of questions. We have a very attentive populace. We have people who want to understand, want to be educated. They want to know, what is my data? Who is getting it? Why are they getting it? Can I stop them? Do I want to stop them? I do. I do want to stop them. Would you please stop them? Do we have to? Um, it is... In addition to that, if you were doing any work with the states or the counties, their open records laws are honestly kind of in the Florida level of just everything's out there, everything. And so you have to just assume that everybody knows everything about you and they don't want you to know anything about them. (laughs) But that's not necessarily to the benefit of the whole. And so really 
we've got a little bit of a cross purposes, right? So we have the very knowledgeable community and we have the very stringent regulations that do, they go farther than HIPAA. They do sort of lock it down in different ways. Uh, it's more focused not on healthcare data, but on other personal data. But obviously, if you are operating a health information exchange or health data utility, you have both. And so you have to take that into account. With the recent legislation that is requiring massive exchange beginning in 2023 and then uh, ramping up through 2024. We are in California, the data exchange in California. California. This is limited to us. Uh, Laboratory of Democracy. So nationally, generally speaking, exchange is optional and or required only for treatment purposes. Nobody has to sign up. They choose to. It's changing a bit, but still. In California, there is a list of people who touch healthcare who all are now required to sign up and exchange data for a large number of purposes. It is going beyond treatment. It is including operations. It is including payment to some level. Operations is first. Um, All of these people are being shoved into interoperability, whether they like it or not. And those who are in it now are being told, you have to answer these queries you've been ignoring for the last decade. You cannot just say, I don't want a health plan to know this. That's too bad. You cannot say, I don't want public health to be involved in my life. That's too bad. The state needs to build up its infrastructure for this. They don't have it. The Providers need to build up their infrastructure for this. The health plans need to build up their infrastructure for this. Some of that will be managed by organizations like mine who are going to become qualified intermediaries. Basically, you sign up with us, you give us your data, we'll only send it where it's supposed to go, we promise. And this is something that has not been attempted on this scale before in the mandatory sense People are a little wary about it. The policies are being developed as we speak. There was a subcommittee meeting yesterday trying to figure out what this is going to look like, how to respond to info blocking requirements, how to respond to individual access requests, what consents are required. They still don't know when this goes live in January. <laughs> well, that, that, that cuts kind, of, kind of echoes the, the, the process of federal legislation regulation as well, uh, seeing as we're in a place where information blocking is in effect, but the penalties haven't been finalized. So I think, I think it's really interesting because, uh, you know, maybe you've heard of the state exchange, or maybe you've heard of AB 133, I think I got that right. Yes. And, and, you know, what you see with things like CCPA, the California Data Privacy Protection Law, is that, of course, right after that, a bunch of other states did a copy-paste and started working on their own CCPA version. So if history and, 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 and you know, related issues are any guide, if the data exchange framework work in California, is it at all successful, it's very likely we'll see this in other states moving across the country in lieu of you know, major federal legislation regulation to quasi-mandate data exchange. And so I think it's really important for us all to keep an eye on what's happening here. Maryland has legislation as well. It's not the same tenor necessarily as what's happening in California, but has had for a long time um, sort of aligned policies and incentives to push data exchange forward. 
So I think I think it, it will be fascinating to see how this plays out. I, let's talk about sort of the connection to what's happening at the federal level. I'm guessing if you're sitting here, you have heard the word TEFCA. There is someone in the room who is 100% responsible for TEFCA. You should hunt her down. Just kidding. <laughs> She's not, I swear. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that... Um, we are at a phase right now where we don't know um, exactly how it's going to play out. We're in the middle of this sort of implementation phase, and we haven't sort of seen it be implemented yet. Lots of talk, lots and lots of talk about how TEFCA is going to, quote-unquote, solve our interoperability and exchange needs across the country. Um, talk about how you're thinking about TEFCA from your standpoint as a, a quasi-state health data utility. Nicole. Uh, sure. So um, we... Not good at waiting. I'm not good at waiting. There we go. Um, so we are very, very supportive of Tefka at Crisp. Um, we announced our intention um, in August to uh, join a QHIN, not become a QHIN, um, but join a QHIN um, eHealth Exchange. Um, and we're just very excited. National networks have been around for quite a while now, but it's amazing to have a national network that is pushed and endorsed by the federal government. Um, so, you know, in a lot of ways we see this, <clears throat> excuse me, as the, maybe not the last mile, but the last, I don't know, 16 on the marathon mile marker or something like that. Um, you, you know you're getting there. Um, to tell people like, hey, we're really serious about this. <laughs> we are having a network of networks um, connection. We are sharing data um, across the country. So as a health data utility in Maryland, um, we wanted to be um, really there from the beginning to say this is what is um, best for our providers um, and our patients in our state. <clears throat> Excuse me. While also understanding that TEFCA isn't going to solve everything. Um, you know, it's going to push folks to uh, connect, to have those networks of networks. Um, but again, large networks, large national networks solve large national problems. They don't solve local problems. You need the local HDUs or HIEs to understand what is going on and to solve those problems. And there's lots of interesting technical things that we could probably talk about, about patient matching and why uh, HDUs or HIEs are really important. Um, but I think what is critical for us to understand is that we need that national data sharing, but we also need that local data sharing to have the governance um, to provide um, value beyond just the exchange of data, but to really bring information out of that exchange of data. So um, we are excited to be participating in TEFCA and also excited to see how HDUs and HIEs um, are going to evolve um, as part of that. Yeah, and I think it's important to, again, reiterate that the work that HDUs are doing at the local or state level goes far beyond what is ever an anticipated for national exchange because you're talking about other data types that aren't exchanged for treatment purposes or other defined purposes. So there's just so much more that's happening at the local and statewide level. And, and so you're already dealing with lots of already dealing with lots of interstate and cross-state exchange. And of course, in California, I'm sure there's plenty of exchange happening, but you're very focused on the local population. How are you thinking about TEFCA from, especially how is, how is the data exchange framework thinking about TEFCA? Not that you're the spokesperson for the data exchange framework, Elizabeth. <laughs> Whether they are is debatable. Uh, no, it's, 
I actually think that the data exchange framework is going to allow us to be a little bit of a leading edge in TEFCA participation. And I say that because the data exchange framework is bringing entities in and requiring them to give data, not just consume it, that have historically been primarily consumers of data, health plans being a key example here. And you're gonna start seeing that exchange happening in California before it gets picked up on the national networks. And then it will start feeding into the national networks, probably primarily from California first. I would be surprised if you saw that level of plan participation in terms of giving in another state because it's not mandatory anywhere else. I think that you want HIEs and health data utilities in the national networks. And you want to send them for a couple of reasons. One is that we are much more data providers than data consumers on these networks. We are who you are pinging. You are not who we are pinging, <laughs> generally speaking. We have worked incredibly hard to connect all of these disparate entities and to get their data into a consumable form, into several different consumable forms. Take your choice, take your poison. And set it up. So Patient matching, data normalization, cleaning, de-duping, things like that. All of those things. Thank you. Uh, doesn't just come in perfect. It really <laughs> aggressively does not come in perfect. I cannot stress that enough. It is. Plus there's data augmentation. So in California right now, we're looking, there's uh, a lot of buzz around SOGI, sexual orientation and general identity, uh, gender identity. For those of you who have never heard that before, it was new to me this year. <laughs> um, we are looking into adding that sort of data. That Those pieces are very local. And they are being done more in some states than others. Again, driven by different policy references and what's going on. That sort of thing is what you want on these national networks. You want the local pieces to sort of nudge the national networks forward. And I do think you're going to see very different TAFCA participation out of California at first than you will from many of the other states for this reason. And so one of the things, uh, there are certainly um, legitimate criticisms right now of TEFCA as it's being finalized, provisions potentially not going far enough to actually push people to change their exchange practices. Um, those of you who have been in interoperability for a long time know that we are pretty good on technical issues now. We're not the hugest challenge. The biggest challenge is competitive, anti-competitive behavior, blocking exchange across different competitive health systems and other entities. And so, you know, with some of the recently finalized provisions, I think where there's some legitimate concern that they're simply not going far enough to, the, the exceptions are too broad and we're not going to really see a change in behavior. However, one of the interesting things about TEFCA as it's, you know, coming out into the world today is the um, specifications around individual access and individual access services and specific individual access service providers who can be part of TEFCA. And so this is a very complex topic. We are not going to do it justice in a few minutes here, but I want to just, um, I want to first make a clarifying comment on uh, stakeholders for HDU. So when we talk about, this is all part of the issue brief and the framework that we're going to be publishing soon, so keep an eye on that. When we talk about stakeholders for HDU, we talk about providers. 
payers, Medicaid, public health, um, the VA, you know, other entities at the national level. We talk about patients, certainly patients as patient groups, patients as individuals seeking access. Those are also critical and important stakeholders of any health data utility. And with these um, provisions in TEFCA, potentially also stakeholders of TEFCA, of the national exchange sort of framework that we're working on here, and of course, in reference to the information blocking provisions of 21st century cures. So with that preamble and saying that we do believe that patients are critical and core stakeholders of this work, talk about you know, what it means in, in your work today, what challenges you're experiencing around patient access um, and, and how to enable it and what kind of questions you're getting and where you are in the process. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I was just listening to a podcast on the way here that was was saying, among other things, it was not a health-related podcast, but I'm bringing it into this realm that was saying, among other things, you know, we we expect change as individuals and as a society to like happen overnight. And then we look at it and we're like, oh, look at that. But when we garden every year, we think about the fact that you have to like put the bulbs in in the fall and there are things going on in the winter. And if you put the bulbs in in the spring, you're not going to get what you need. So if we can bring that type of gardening thinking um, into everyday life, it helps us understand that it's a process. And on an individual basis, that process is very frustrating, right? It's very frustrating. <laughs> I <Yes>. can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you won't, you may want your data and you may want it right now. Um, and I get lots of people calling in every day that want their data and they want it right now. Um, and we are trying to make that happen um, as quickly as possible while understanding that if we want to keep data secure, if we want to keep data interoperable, we need to ensure that when I say that I'm Nicole Sweeney, I'm getting Nicole Sweeney with the annoying H that my people that my parents put in my name and not Nicole Sweeney without the annoying H that that people put in my name and that I am a, a I am who I say that I am. I am using the data for the purposes that I'm using that data. And that individual identification process and the patient patient matching process, I think as you can imagine is difficult. <laughs> and we are getting there, um, but it is, it is difficult. Um, and I think too, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's underrepresented, but I will just say again, how important, and I think it is to remember just how far we've come in the last few years. I mean, if you had talked to me and Elizabeth five years ago, we would just be, we would probably be like, don't give anyone data ever. <laughs> um, like we would be trying to get there, but that's basically what HIPAA taught all of us, right? It's permissive. It was sort of like, keep all of it as much as you can. You're only going to get in trouble if you give it out. And then information blocking came along and now we had this dramatic swing. And it's such a dramatic swing that when I go and talk to the providers in Maryland, there are many of them that I will talk to information blocking about and they're like, what? When does this go into effect? And I'm like, uh, two years ago. Sorry to tell you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we're really, we're facing a cultural change of how we use data and who it belongs to and how providers interact with that data and how they interact with patients with giving them that data. And again, it's very, very frustrating from the individual level, but we also have to ensure that we are moving appropriately um, and we are going to get there and we're getting there faster than we ever have. Yeah. Great point. Elizabeth? I cannot stress enough what Nicole said about identity proofing a patient asking for their records. Uh, they don't want to cooperate. Uh, because it's really invasive. 
And it's hard to set up a system that makes it automatic or simple and reliable. It, it's terrifying from a privacy perspective. It's terrifying from a security perspective. You want patients to have access to their records. I want access to my records. How do I prove I'm me? This is something that we, across the industry, are grappling with. There are options, to be clear. None of them are perfect. <laughs> I would argue none of them are great, even. Um, but they are okay, and they exist, so that's great. Um, but that is a major, a major issue. Again, it is the giving people what they need, keeping it safe. That, apparently, you're going to have to listen to me say that every time my <laughs> microphone is on, and for that I am sincerely sorry, but it is also my entire life, right? It is the crux of every decision that you make, sharing information or not sharing it in the healthcare space. Um, yeah, individual access is hard. It's important, but it's hard. But it is moving forward. There's definitely progress being made every day on that, and I think you give it another two, two years, I think we'll be in a pretty good spot. Uh, today... Wild variation from entity to entity. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, we're learning and we're moving forward. And sort of tying this back to the HDU concept as well, I think the power of the HDU and individual access and TEFCA, sort of bringing all of those things together, is that if I want my records in this future state, I'm not going to have to go to Capital Women's Care and Sibley and like get my kids, you know, there's, if we can go through the HDU, there is a future where there's one place that you could ask for your data and it's going to pull it from all of your providers into one longitudinal, longitudinal holistic record. I think that is a very exciting place to be moving. Yeah. And I think, I think just to draw a little comparison of what that looks like today, um, at, you know, currently I have roughly 20 my chart profiles minimum, as well as some other ones as well. And the data is really not um, deduplicated. It's not in a useful format for me or for any provider to actually get access to. And so the hope certainly in the future is that with the strong health data utility at the state or regional level, you can also do that coordination and that pre-work to make the data make more sense to patients and people who are getting the data on the patient's behalf. And so I really think that's kind of the difference right now today based on, you know, if, you, if, if people are responding and actually, um, if, if, sorry, if health IT vendors are actually making data available via useful APIs as they are supposed to today, then you can potentially pull data together, do some work on it with a consumer-facing app, but you're really not getting everything involved. You really need HDUs to be sorting out all those data pieces on the back end to actually provide useful data to patients. So my hope as well is that as HDUs continue to grow and mature and also sort of co-occurring, you know, patients accessing their data electronically becomes more frequent and common and patients are demanding it, you'll see those things converge in a way that's also useful for patients as key stakeholders of HDUs. So I think that's, that's where we hope to get to. It will take some time. Again, technically right now, if your health IT vendor is following the law, then in theory you can access data via an API. It may not be good data, though. It may not be complete data. And so that's where we want to really get to um, with this concept when we think about how patients, individuals are accessing their data. But these are very real concerns and issues. It's not super straightforward. Of course, if you make a data request, 
you know, the responders will follow the law, but you may not, there's only so much they'll give you that they actually have. And so we're hoping to see that change in the future as well. So I think we're coming up on time. Any final thoughts on sort of what to look for in your states in this area in the next couple of months to a year? Elizabeth. You just didn't have your microphone on. <laughs> you needed time. I mean, there are three or four big things all going on in California at the same time. AB 133 is number one, and arguably also two through seven. It will either be exactly what care quality is today and not more interesting at all, uh, or it will really meaningfully move things forward on a surprisingly short time scale. The DHCS um, in California wants to see change. They're tired of this. They want public health engaged. They, they're just, they're frustrated and they want to see movement. So I think that we're going to actually see something really happening in the next year. And I think you'll start seeing the dividends show as early as January, February. I mean, it is not far. They're also pushing population health management and, again, variations on a theme of additional uh, public health engagement in behavioral health. I think that we will start seeing some interesting progress. That's going to be slower because you're dealing with very different levels of technological readiness in the public health sphere and especially the behavioral health from a public side perspective than you are in the EHR driven environment. But I, I think I think 2023 and 2024, you will actually see real change in California, and hopefully it works out. And just very briefly, I know we're short on time. I think the next frontier that I'm very excited about in uh, uh, segueing from individual access to is truly making sure that the patient is at the center of their privacy rights, where they want their data going. I think to do that, the health data utility concept is so important. Um, and thinking about not only the health data utility as exchanging data, but a future state where it is managing consent of individuals. So you can go to one place, um, the health data utility, and say, I want these data to go to these data, these people, I don't want this to go to here, et cetera, et cetera, um, and be able to manage that on an individual level. And right now, if folks want to manage that, you know, you have to go to each individual state and opt out of an HIE um, or various other things like that. So um, I think as we have thought for many years, when we put the patient at the center of care, we're really going to see change. And to be able to do that, we need to make sure that they're also at the center of their privacy concerns and where their patient, where their data goes. All right. Well, thank you so much to both of you and um, more to come here. In terms of Civitas, we'll make sure to share through Weedy's channels and communities all the work we're doing on HDU and um, come to our conference next year in National Harbor in August. It's going to be amazing. Um, and we'll have a lot more to share about HDU and see the progress that has, uh, that has happened in that time. So thanks so much and um, moving on to the next one. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you, and be safe.